Christine is a licensed acupuncturist specializing in sexual health. Her book, Diet for Great Sex, Food for Male and Female Sexual Health, has been featured in the Daily Mail, CBS, UK's The Sun, Mel Magazine, The Toronto Sun, and she has offered expert commentary for The Huffington Post, Marie Claire, and Good Housekeeping. Christine studied biology and psychology at the University of Rochester, where she was in a program that trained students to become research scientists. She also holds a dual master's degree in acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine, and also a master's in counseling. During her education, she studied Chinese dietary therapy and earned a certificate as a holistic nutritional counselor. Always rather obsessed with diet, nutrition, and natural health, Christine's philosophy is rooted in an evidence-based understanding of the physiological effect of food on the body while honoring the wisdom of traditional Chinese medicine. She treats every patient holistically as an individual and wishes to use her unique skill set to help others in a kind, loving way. Please help me in welcoming Christine to the show. All right, so I am joined here today by Christine, the author of Diet for Great Sex. Hi, Christine. Hi. Can you start? First of all, the cover for your book is everything. Like, I am completely obsessed, and I'm, I'm obviously going to show this on the page and everything like that. What inspired you to write this book? Oh boy, I guess it's been a kind of long, convoluted journey here. Um, (laughs) I've always been really obsessed with diet and nutrition and just a natural approach to health, you know. And so I guess the first thing on this path was becoming an acupuncturist. And I just was really so fascinated by how much. Chinese medicine was able to accomplish in the body uh, without the use of pharmaceuticals and, you know, just a completely natural approach and yet able to do so much. And so I started, you know, there and I went into private practice and, uh, okay. And then before that I was, I I wasn't a research um, scientist, but I trained to be one when I was an undergraduate, I was in this, uh, this um, honors program that trained students to conduct research. So that's going to play in when I finally did write the book. I relied on a lot of scientific evidence because I wanted it to be really, really fun and easy to read, but I wanted everything to be backed by science and evidence. So, um, and then, you know, I, I didn't immediately specialize in sexual health. I did what most acupuncturists do, which is treat a lot of back pain, headaches, you know, neck pain, that sort of thing, because insurance companies typically pay for that. So, one day I had a patient of mine ask if I could help them to have stronger erections. It was something that he and his wife had been dealing with. And, um, you know, so I said, sure, let's give it a whirl. And he had really great results. Then I had a couple more patients who had really great results. And I said, you know, wow, this is, this is really something that can bring a lot of benefit to people's lives. Um, it's something that's really difficult to treat with Western medicine you know, biomedicine, any kind of medicine you talk about, this is something that's difficult to treat. So I decided to specialize in sexual health and I expanded it to, you know, all who seek treatment, uh, regardless of gender or, or, uh, 
orientation. And so when I work with my patients, I always ask them what they eat because I want to know, you know, how, how much is their diet supporting sexual health? And because, you know, in Chinese medicine, our goal is to always treat the root of health. You know, pharmaceuticals, oftentimes they treat the brand, they treat the symptom without really actually making people more well, you know, it kind of reduces what they're seeing, but it's not reducing kind of the pathology. So if we want to talk about sexual health, we have to look at diet. That has to be a piece in there because that is a root of it. You know, we, we can have a great partner. We can be in a really sexy, hot situation and have all the right vibes and everything. But if our nerves aren't firing strong, rapid impulses to and from our genitals, we're not going to have pleasure. You know, if our blood vessels aren't delivering adequate blood flow, it's going to be hard to ferment it, get an erection, or they'll have softer erections. For women, we'll have more difficulty um, having lubrication, you know, sexual pleasure, everything. And when sex hormones aren't in balance, and food affects every piece in that whole thing. So I wanted to create something that I could gift my patients and just, you know, help. And, and quite honestly, I wanted the challenge of it. I'm like, you know, how much evidence is really out there? What we know that if you are healthier, you have better sex, but how much, what, what can we find? What can I find out about what foods actually do in the body uh, with relation to, you know, our sex lives? That's so incredible. that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> that's, I love it. I'm such like a, a physio nerd. I love nothing more. I'm so weird. Like on a Saturday, I'd rather read a book about the brain than go out to a bar. I, I dabbled <laughs> in like neuropsych for a while. And then I wanted to go into naturopathic medicine. And I don't know where to start because everything you said is so true. I think especially Western medicine focuses, like you said, on the Band-Aid oh, you're, you have chronic migraines, just take a pill for it instead of getting to the actual root cause to solve the problem. And that's what, you know, Chinese medicine focuses a lot on. So what got you into acupuncture in the first place? And then I saw that you were a nutritional counselor. So the two definitely go hand in hand, I'm sure. Yeah. So when I was uh, studying for, ac is, is um, you know, to be an acupuncturist and herbalist, I took traditional Chinese uh, dietary therapy courses. And then I also got a certification online for a nutrition, a holistic nutritional consultant. But most of, most of my work focuses on like, you know, research and that end of things. So I'm not a nutritionist, but I poured over all of the actual studies, the actual clinical studies, the actual epidemiological studies to see, you know, the effect on food. As far as what got me into acupuncture, it was basically, you know, I, I was actually a school counselor for 10 years, and I would actually counsel my kids. I would say, you know, when I was trying to help them figure out what they wanted to be when they grew up, I would say, well, well if you want to find your passion, what do you find yourself doing when nobody's telling you to do something? You know, for me, that was, I was always reading a book about alternative medicine, about you know food and nutrition and you know and so that was just a way for me to focus on that full time and, and I switched careers I went back to school I got a second and third master's degree and opened up shop so 
Wow, that's really impressive. I used to go to acupuncture every day for several years for, like you said, back pain, neck pain. And I fell in love with my acupuncturist. So it was so amazing, made such an incredible impact on my life. But I didn't even think to treat sexual health issues. Uh, for me, a lot of it was like emotional trauma stuck in the body. And um, they said I was I had like heat and then all these things. What do you think is the number one um, sexual health problem these days, if there is one, we'll start there, that most people are suffering with when it comes to their diet and how it's all interconnected? Well, basically, the, the biggest thing I would say in my male patients is that they want erections to be stronger. Some of my male patients are dealing with erectile um premature ejaculation, but mostly it's erections that we're talking about. My female patients typically want higher libido and easier time orgasming. That's a big, big relationship. It's, you know, sexual relationship sticker is, you know, how long does it take her to orgasm versus him, you know, when you're in a heterosexual relationship. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize how much food affects that. I mean, it, it very much affects how quickly those nerve impulses, signaling pleasure, signaling sexual stimulation, how quickly and strongly those are firing is very much dependent on what we're eating. So in Chinese medicine, we would consider that to be, you know, how quickly does qi flow through the channels of the body? And when we're talking about those nerves, you know, our diet can slow those nerves down. Um, it, you don't even have to have something like type 2 diabetes to notice the decline in sexual function. So like type 2 diabetics noticeably have slower nerve conduction. And for that reason, they have a tendency toward um, more difficult orgasm, for example. Um, but even the average person can notice decline in that area and can help speed up that nerve conduction by something like, for example, antioxidants. Antioxidants have tons of research showing that they do. They speed up nerve conduction. They increase sexual satisfaction. So they they help have a better time with that. You know, it's a very direct impact. Wow, that's super interesting. I feel like even younger and younger generations of men are experiencing erectile dysfunction issues. And it's super interesting because years ago, it was just an issue, quote unquote, that we heard about in older, in older gentlemen, but now people in their early twenties, it's higher rates than ever before. Do you think that's due mostly to diet and lifestyle? I think there's a few things um, at hand in my book. I talk about, obviously diet is, is the biggest one I talk about, but there are other things too. I mean, our lifestyles have a huge impact on it, but our environment does too. We think about you know, something like um, exposure to toxic heavy metals as being something that you have if you live next to like a waste, you know, plant. But every day exposure is a problem for the average person. We do have detectable amounts in our bloodstream of things that affect sexual health. So toxic heavy metals, they are in our bodies because of pollution, because of the air we breathe, the food we eat has cadmium in it. Um, and there's a whole ton of research there. There's, there are decades of research showing that it does affect our hormonal balance. It does disrupt hormones. It is a neurotoxin. 
So those are really important aspects of sexual health. I mean, hormonal balance, that's huge. Um, nerve health, that's huge. You know, just like what we just talked about. So it, it does affect sexual health. In terms of our diet, I mean, yeah, we, what we eat is not conducive to great sex. Even when we think about our basic vitamin and mineral profiles, they're inadequate. I mean, if you look at other primates, they're eating leaves all the time, for example. And in doing so, they get many times the amount of potassium, magnesium, calcium, and other minerals that promote great sex. Um, potassium is something we're sorely deficient in. So potassium is uh, found in things like yams with the skins on, oranges, potatoes with the skins, leafy greens, things like that. And as humans, we used to take in about 10 times as much potassium in our diets as sodium. Now it's the opposite. We take in about 10 times as much sodium as potassium. And the vast majority of us, according to one study, it was like 97% of Americans don't get enough potassium. And what this does is it causes these um, calcifications on our blood vessels, which basically lead to less blood flow. They lead to so weaker erections less blood flow to the clitoris and the vagina. And that just that one thing has a big impact on sexual function. You want blood vessels that are elastic and able to deliver optimal blood flow. For sure. And when it comes to women, something that I experienced myself is just challenges orgasming and sex drive is out, up and down, up and down. And a lot of that, that women's health can't be talked about without talking about hormones. So I want to know your opinion on hormonal birth control. I know there's a lot of controversy in this area, but is it really helping or harming women? Well, you know, I do see a lot of patients come in who are trying to, for example, get pregnant after years of being on birth control. It does cause stagnation in the body. I mean, it's disrupting uh, a kind of a rhythm in the body that is there for a reason. So um, some of the newer birth control, for example, they don't, even allow for any menstruation so you don't ever get that cycle to fully complete you know so it's more like you're kind of promoting stagnation within the uterus and so um so yeah there, there's definitely effects to being on hormonal birth control especially being on it for years which a lot of my patients have been on it for 20 years and so um so yeah it definitely in my opinion it definitely has health consequences being on it. I mean, does that outweigh the pros and the benefits? You know, that's obviously somebody's individual um, assessment, but it's not a risk-free, you know, intervention. I agree. Definitely. Is there a main culprit when it comes to diet that a lot of Americans fall prey to? Yeah. So in Chinese medicine, a good diet is one where the the five flavors are balanced. You know, we have sweet, we have salty, we have bitter, acrid, and sour. Well, we favor the sweet flavor in all the processed foods. We favor the salty flavor, and we neglect things like the bitter flavor, which is leafy greens and vegetables, and we neglect the sour flavor, which is our fruits, and that which have a lot of vitamin C and other things that are great for sex. So, um. The, that, that is one thing, is favoring that salt and sweet. I mean, salt within 30 minutes, there are studies that you can measure 
blood vessels and their performance, after 30 minutes of a very salty meal, they're actually measurably stiffer. So arterial function declines even in the short term and, and obviously in the long term. Uh, something like refined sugars, there are tons of studies showing that even drinking one soda a day will disrupt estrogen and testosterone. So it, yeah, absolutely. And then of course, throw in the really super fatty diet that we, that we have, and you're talking more hormonal imbalance and more um, blood vessels that are dysfunctional. Yeah. And now you can't talk to someone without hearing about 20 different diets that they've tried. There's paleo, there's keto, there's raw food diet, there's vegan, there's vegetarian, there's high protein. What are we supposed to believe? Yeah, that's a really great question. And it's one that I really wanted to look at both scientifically and also, you know, I find it so curious that other animals know what to eat. They just know. They know intuitively what to eat. They know instinctively what to eat. They go to the right plant or the right animal and they just eat. If you look at other primates as, you know, to for some guidance as to what we should eat, since none of us seem to know, we ask each other what we should eat. We don't know intuitively. Um, we get all these different answers. and We get all these different answers from people. But if you look at primates, we know that they eat a whole lot of leaves. We know that they eat a whole lot of berries and they get a lot more fiber in their diet from all the produce that they're eating, all the vegetation. And they do eat some bugs and they do eat some, a lot of meat mammals. Um, the ones that are closest to human beings eat a little bit of meat. You know, they eat a little bit of mammals, but they eat a whole lot of vegetables and a whole lot of fruit. Mm. So that's, that's kind of what, I, I used science and I and I kind of looked at other primates to to make that you know best guess. I mean, where where you know some primates eat zero percent of their diet comes from, for example, animal protein. Others about ninety percent of their calories come from animal protein. So where humans fall in that spectrum is you know it's a matter of debate, a matter of great debate. But uh, we're likely based on the the most similar primates to humans. We are likely meant to eat a little bit of meat, um, not much more than that, not much more than a little bit of meat and um, a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables. Hmm. Yeah, I personally choose to eat a mostly vegetarian diet. I've dabbled in keto and whole foods. I remember when I was studying um, like Ayurvedic medicine, something they said that was super interesting to me was alive versus dead foods and not just the the nutritional value of the food, but the energy and your state of emotion and mood when you're eating your food is also extremely important because if you're eating kale 24-7, but you're miserable and crying versus sitting down and having that intuitive, mindful eating experience can also uh, apparently affect the way that it's digested in your body. You know, I personally find too, I mean, on a spiritual level, Eating an animal that has not been treated right, I feel like is not, that's not okay. And I don't, taking on that kind of energetically, bringing that into your own body, I, I don't feel right about that. And I mean, obviously research says that better raised meat is healthier for you, um, you know, but um, most of the the industrial farmed meat is horrible and the animals are, it, it's, you know, it's really not 
humane and it's it's really kind of it's really cruel so i don't like to put stuff like that into my body for sure um and but you know you can have a really healthy diet it without eating meat and uh, especially if you you know make sure that you get enough um, omega-3s and things like that and you, you make sure that you're getting enough bioavailable zinc um that sort of thing yeah i love it too and there's so many mainstream like themes coming into the nutrition world, such as alkaline water and eat organic and take these supplements. What do you think is the most important factor when choosing the food that we put on our plate? The most important factor? Well, I mean, Chinese medicine would say your constitution is the most important factor because if you tend towards, um, you know, damp, you, you want to be particularly mindful of having more dampening foods like fatty, rich, greasy foods. If you tend towards heat, you know, you've got to want to be more mindful of maybe staying away from some of the hotter, spicier foods, for example. But that's probably the, the biggest thing. But we can make broad generalizations to most of the population because we know that we kind of, we have tons of this processed food available to us. We have tons of the salt and salty and the sweet. And we want to have to be, we really have to be, mindful about incorporating the bitter flavor, the leafy greens, you know, bringing more of that into our diet and bringing more fruit into our diet, because we know that as a whole population, we're kind of neglecting that. Are there any herbs that you suggest your patients take for optimal sexual function, or does it vary by gender and lifestyle? Yeah, it definitely varies by the individual. One thing that I often recommend is cordyceps, for example, um, particularly to my male patients. Um, for my female patients, I often recommend raspberry leaf and um, nettle leaf teas with you know hormonal balance and things like that. Um, also, with supplements, a lot of times we we don't typically get enough of a lot of basic um, minerals, so I may recommend like a multi-mineral. Um, like a Mary Ruth's organics, liquid multi-minerals to take that. And that can really help um, balance hormones and it can help with a lot of other things as well. Yeah. I love that we're talking about this today because a misconception when it comes to sex, I find, is that people think that if they just, men, if they think they last longer or they have a larger size penis, that the sex will be better. And girls think if they just act the way that they're seeing in porn, then sex is good if you do the right position or if you use handcuffs. And so much of it is your emotional state when you're coming to the encounter, how you're feeling emotionally, how how much you've rested that day, how much water you've drank. It has so much more to do than just getting a good position. Yeah, absolutely. So Absolutely. And we focus so much on image, especially in our kind of media-driven culture. You know, we to the extreme, you know, to it really to the extreme where people feel like they should, you know, get bleached genitals. And, you know, even I've seen um, genital surgeries to try to look more like these porn star, you know, with adjusting the labia minora to be smaller. And, you know, the thing about it is um, that generally has very, very, little impact on sexual satisfaction. As a matter of fact, it would more likely take away from sexual pleasure than anything. Um, and 
what I try to emphasize, and I have a chapter on this, um, because I was a counselor for 10 years, I had to include this about relationships. It's usually so much more about the connection there is between two people than any of those superficial things. We all have a type, but we generally will date well outside of our type. You know, we have preferences, but focusing on substance and being a kind partner is way more important than any of these media driven, you know, standards of beauty. Oh, I wish I could repeat that a hundred times because especially in, <laughs> in teenage girls now we see like the rates of plastic surgeries, particularly genital surgery increasing at a rapid pace. And it's just really sad because like you said, feeling safe with your partner is extremely important because if you're not with the right person and you're in that fight, flight, freeze response, your insecurities are going to come out. It, it doesn't matter how perky your breasts are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so. I think I think we think that our partner cares way more about some of those things than they actually do. I've asked so many people, you know, male, female, you know, people of all genders and orientations, what they, what is the most important thing when looking for a partner? And it's not those things. It's not those, it's not like very few people talk about specific physical features. Most people talk about a connection. Most people talk about a person that, you know, they can relate to those things, obviously finding them attractive, but not specific, very specific, um, physical attributes or anything like that. I even went as far as because I was in this airport one day and I saw this poster promoting um, advertising gynecological cosmetic surgery and it really pissed me off. I was it irritated the crap out of me. I And so I went to the website. Um, <laughs> that's what I do when something irritates me. I go to the website. So I went to the website and I saw all these before and after pictures of of vulvas you know so that and i saw what was done and in many cases like we talked about it was the labia majora had um extended farther outside of the labia um excuse me the labia minora extended far outside the labia majora and that didn't match the porn image and so these people wanted to adjust that so that they were smaller and what i did so i decided to take a group of friends and show that who, those who like pussy. And I said, I, you know, take a look at these pictures and I want you to tell me what, what you think. Okay. Are these attractive genitals? Um, basically what I wanted to do is test out my hypothesis was that the, the before and after were not much difference as far as, you know, any attractiveness. And they confirmed that all of the men that I asked said they were very arousing to look at any genitals and they, they found them all great. They were all good. Didn't matter that they were in hospital gowns on these fluorescent lighting. They thought they were hot. Um, my two lesbian friends, they thought they were perfectly fine. They didn't find them arousing like the men did, but they were like, yeah, they're fine. They look good. Nobody, not one single person thought the after picture was more attractive than the before picture. And yet these insecurities drive these surgeries and things like that, that can do, cause permanent scarring and, and all that. It just, yeah, it, it definitely, 
is something that we need to combat. That makes me so sad because that's something, I mean, I am, I'm not sad that they said that, but I'm sad that this is what's going on. I, I've personally had someone comment about the length of my labia and I was just flabbergasted because I never looked at it the same after they commented on it. And it's just like, that's not what makes great sex. That's, and by all means, I would not want to be having sex with someone and having that sacred energy exchange with someone that doesn't think highly upon my naked body personally. Right, exactly. Well, isn't that how all of our insecurities start? It's one person who makes some thoughtless comment and all of a sudden it sticks. And all of a sudden we think, oh, is that what I am? You know, and and we think that we need to change it. Um, and so often these these insecurities that we have are, are unfounded. They're not based in reality. Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering if you've done any research or um, in regards to Eastern philosophy on that energy exchange and sex, because yeah, I'd love to hear more about your opinion on that. Yeah. So, you know, the, the perception of that energy exchange has changed over the years. The modern kind of concept is that males lose essence with every ejaculation and therefore may want to conserve it or shouldn't be doing it too much. But the more I dug into this, I found that wasn't always the, the standard, you know, the standard belief that happened around the time of that Confucianism became popular. Before that sex was thought to be a mutual exchange of yin and yang. And it was mutually beneficial, mutually nourishing. And so much, in fact, that emperors would have all these concubines and wives that they would have sex with. And they were encouraged to have as much sex as possible because the vaginal um, secretions of the, the female were thought to nourish their essence. And so then they would build up their essence with all of these concubines and wives so that on the full moon, they would have sex with the empress and deliver the strongest, most potent sperm that would produce the, the healthiest, most intelligent air possible. Um, but once Confucianism kind of set in, there was a lot of change in, you know, a lot of regime change in China and governments were seeking more control over the people and used Confucianism to do so. And, and Confucianism is what it was way more conservative sexually. And so that, um, I believe, had a major influence on what was recommended in terms of um, how people have sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. Because I've also heard that, obviously, it's different theories and you can roll with it if you'd like, but I've heard when it comes to masturbation for men that I've heard the like biological side that it's really great for your prostate and reducing risks of cancer ejaculating every day. But on the other side, I also heard that it's also draining their chi and their life. Obviously it's different theories and you can roll with it if you'd like, but I've heard when it comes to masturbation for men that I've heard the like biological side that it's really great for your prostate 
and reducing risks of cancer ejaculating every day. But on the other side, I also heard that it's also draining their chi and their life force. So it's interesting to to hear the different um, research that has been done on this. Yeah, you know, I what I haven't done is research on um, looking at the science. If anybody has actually studied that, mm-hmm. yeah, to see if there's any kind of drawback to you know frequent ejaculation. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, it's all super interesting stuff, and and I try to take it with a grain of salt because I can't speak to. I identify as a female. I can't speak to the male experience. I can only speak to my own experience. And personally, I would love to hear your. Uh, opinion on this is female masturbation. Do you think that it's it's healthy? I personally like it to get the energy moving, but I've also heard camps of thought where men are like, "Well, if you masturbate as a female, then you're less inclined to master uh, to orgasm with your male partner in a heterosexual relationship." Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't. I don't think that at all, and that hasn't been my experience with talking with my patients, with my friends um, at at all. In fact, I find that female patients who don't masturbate and are less comfortable touching themselves are also less comfortable teaching their partner how to touch them. So I would say it's something that's good for both the the relationship and for the individual, for sure. And... um, you know, the more the more comfortable and the more we like ourselves and the more we feel like that's a normal experience, the easier of a conversation it is, the easier it is to communicate in general. Yeah, 100%. Sexual communication is so much of sex. And I, I like to tell people that if you don't feel comfortable having that conversation with your partner, then maybe you aren't ready to have sex with them. <laughs> well, I think part of the, the, the part of the problem is this. And I actually had the same experience when I was younger. I viewed sex with a partner as one thing. Orgasm was something I did by myself mm-hmm. because I, first of all, I didn't think that a partner would want to spend that much time focused on me mm-hmm. because it's so easy. It was so easy to, you know, make a male orgasm. Whereas for me, it was a lot longer and I felt like that was burdensome to my partner. Um, it was as I got older and started thinking about things differently that I realized uh, a good partner will want to invest in my pleasure and that my, you know, he will view my pleasure as being equally important to his. I mean, the there's definitely an orgasm disparity, you know, in male-female relationships um, with males getting the better end of the deal, you know, for sure. So, and and the thing is, there's so much pressure to be, to let your partner know that they're competent mm. as a lover that, you know, sometimes it's not earned. It has to be earned. You know, it's, it might be, it might sting to, to know that you didn't do it for her, but it's a conversation that, that needs to happen. It, you know, any kind of, you know, star marks when it comes to pleasing a female have to be hard won through lots of communication, lots of wanting to know lots of exploration and lots of even reading up on it and, and, you know, learning about the female anatomy. Hmm. Yeah. And when I talk about sex, a lot of issues are created by anxiety and those nerves. And I noticed the chapter in your book, what do you think when it comes to, um, I don't want to say drugs for the sake of sounding harsh, but such as THC, medicinal mushrooms could 
that potentially help with anxiety? It can, but there's also research showing that, um, you know, THC can, THC can have both an enhancing, you know, um, effect on sexuality, but it can also have the opposite effect on libido in general, you know, so libido in general and, um, you know, sexual, sexual function in general. So it kind of has to be something that's, um, based on the individual and, you know, understanding them, um, as far as medicinal mushrooms go, yeah, medicinal mushrooms, they, there's so much research showing that they have a great impact on nerve function. I have a whole chapter on it in my book. Um, mushrooms of all sorts do so much in the body, but one of them is help strengthen nerve conduction. They're loaded with antioxidants, but the coolest thing about them is that they affect the body by actually enhancing the microbiome, which is so cool. Even your simple white button mushrooms that you get at the grocery store uh, were shown in research to improve the biodiversity in your digestive um, microbes. And that may not seem like a lot, but they're finding more and more that the microbiome, you know, this delicate balance of microbes in the digestive tract pretty much affects everything, mm -hmm. including things like cardiovascular health, sexual health, um, hormonal health. It, it affects every aspect of health. So it's so cool that eating certain food could enhance that and make it better. Yeah, I'll have to try that sometime. And I, it's, it's become more of a hot topic, the, the gut health and microbiome. And I, I find it interesting. I heard that most of serotonin is produced in your gut and not <laughs> your brain. So maybe taking Prozac might not be helpful. But what do you think people can start doing to take better care of their gut? Well, everything in the book, honestly, is good. Um, certainly, um, Curbing unnecessary use of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying don't ever take antibiotics, but unnecessary yeah. use. You know, ask if there are alternatives. Ask if you know there. I mean, sometimes there there are. Oftentimes there are other things that can be done. Not again. I'm not encouraging anybody not to take their antibiotics. Um, but antibiotic use definitely can upset the microbiome for sure. And you know, even just the way we eat. You know, all the refined sugar we eat, um, and you know, that, that all affects our microbiome. Um, even, you know, our everyday exposure to a lot of toxins affects it. I mean, pretty much our life affects our microbiome for sure. So, um, yeah, it is, it is so, it's hard to take good care of it when we, we do drink things like chlorinated water, which is designed to kill microbes, you know, we do take a lot of antibiotics. We do um, all these other things that kind of disrupt that. But, um, you know, yeah, just um, having lots of uh, things like mushrooms in your life that promote good health. Prebiotics like berries are a really good prebiotic. A lot of plant fibers are a really good prebiotic. A prebiotic is something that nourishes the good microbes in your digestive tract. So those are really important. Yeah. Years ago, I was on antibiotics for 
years. I'm not saying a month. Or, I was on antibiotics for years for my acne, which actually in the end ended up exasperating my acne when I got off of it because I wasn't taking care of the issue in the first place of what was causing it. And I developed really bad um, gastritis and I was never in a good mood. My depression went through the roof. And if you're in a bad mood, you're probably not going to be in the mood to have sex. So it was just this really toxic cycle. And um, personally, I chose to try the dairy elimination diet and then the gluten because I heard gluten caused inflammation in the brain. So I, I think it's a matter of like each person just experimenting with what works for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we only have a couple minutes left here. I feel like I'm gaining more brain cells and getting smarter talking to you by the second. I love it. Um, I wanted to talk about the electromagnetic fields and your um, chapter environment and lifestyle for great sex. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because I, with all the controversy over 5G and how, whether or not these electromagnetic fields and Wi-Fi affect health. Um, I honestly didn't expect to find much research on it because it's such a controversial controversial subject. Um, I was so floored when I found that there <laughs> there's tons of research on this. Loads and loads of research showing that, yes, very much, electromagnetic magnetic fields, Wi-Fi, they do disrupt hormones. They do, if when they're close to the testicles, they do affect, affect testicular health, sperm health. They, um, they affect um, a lot of the, uh, you know, pretty much all of those aspects of sexual health. And so they are something we should try to limit our exposure to. And we're, we're exposed to them a lot mm -hmm. uh, more nowadays because we're more dependent on technology. And um, this, this isn't, I'm not even talking about, you know, fringe kind of, um, medical publications. I'm talking about very mainstream um, medical journals have uh, great, very quality uh, publications showing that they very much do affect our hormonal health and, and nerve health. So, um, so yeah, but there's things that you can do. I mean, first of all, most of the damage that's caused by electromagnetic fields is caused by oxidative stress. And so um, taking in a lot more antioxidants was shown in research to offset a lot of this damage caused by Wi-Fi. So basically, um, the more Wi-Fi we're exposed to, the, the even more important it is to get more antioxidants in our diets. And then, of course, just take measures to not be constantly with our cell phones or with our computers, you know, which is harder, especially with COVID, because there, mm -hmm. everything is via Zoom. Um, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, my kids are doing all their homework with laptops all day long, you know, for hours doing their, their work. So it is a lot more challenging to do that, but definitely worth, um, worth paying attention to. Yeah, for sure. The struggle is real to stay away from technology, but maybe just starting by not sleeping with your cell phone in your bed could be a good start. And it's not to scare people. It's just to have that awareness so that we can make better choices. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, awesome. So lastly here, I wanted to talk about aphrodisiacs. If, you know, I've heard that they're real and then it's it's all just a fake theory. What does the research say about aphrodisiacs? Okay, so I've got a whole chapter in the book on aphrodisiacs that actually have some research to support their efficacy. It's not a lot of research, 
the things that I included had usually had like two or three studies to support them. It wasn't, again, it wasn't a huge body of evidence, but it was something. And, you know, especially when you're talking about the culinary aphrodisiacs, they're fun to play with. Cloves, for example, were shown to have, uh, within two hours of eating cloves, um, people reported better sex. So it's fun to play around with that. Uh, something that does have more research to support it is saffron. Saffron is, you know, it's known as an aphrodisiac. It was used by Cleopatra. You know, she would have baths of saffron. She put like a half a cup of saffron in her baths to prepare for her lovers. And people have used it for a lot of time. People were warned against visiting um, Eastern countries because you don't want to eat the curry because they basically might turn you into a pervert, you know, because of all that saffron. Oh my gosh. Um, so <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but there actually are a lot of studies that show that, you know, it does, it does help with sex. It, it improves libido. Basically uh, people had more sex when they ate saffron hmm. and they had better sex. Interesting. I've heard cinnamon and, and chocolate. We've all heard the pineapple and the eating out whole theory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. What do you think about um, vaginal steaming with herbs? Um, you know what? I didn't, I focused a lot on stuff that had research with it. So I yeah. didn't get a whole lot on that because I don't think there's any mm -mm. Uh, research to support it. <laughs> No, the only thing not. that I've heard about it is pretty much stuff that people have told me. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's any evidence. I mean, people seem to be excited about it. Um, and I've never tried it before. Um, I mean, I'd certainly be, certainly be curious about it. Um, but yeah, so I can't really offer much on that. Yeah. I think if it works for you and it makes you happy and it makes you feel good, then go with it, you know? Yeah. All right. Do I you mean, have if you're steaming, if you're steaming that area, you're, kind of focusing your intention on it. And mm -hmm. so that in and of itself can kind of be beneficial. Yeah. Just like relaxing and meditating and get, getting rid of some of that stress and just being one with your body is extremely beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun to try out <laughs> personally. I, I, I got to add it to my list. Yeah. Not everyone has 30 minutes though, to just sit on a bowl and steam their vagina. But. <laughs> well, if I do it while making dinner and, um, you know, helping my kids with their homework, maybe. <laughs> for sure. For sure. All right, Christine, I hope you can leave our audience with, um, like if they want to have better sex, just a few tips, maybe we'll boil it down to three, whether it's ingesting or something they're eating or doing tonight that could improve their sex. Okay. I'll tell you a really great way to have a high impact, um, but you know, really doable is changing your lunch. Hmm. Try to have a big, huge leafy green salad with maybe a yam with the skins on or a baked potato with the skins on or squash. And the reason for this is that leafy greens have, they basically affect that entire trifecta of great sex. They improve vascular health. So they make blood vessels more elastic. They um, improve blood flow. They actually even have a, a short term effect dilating blood vessels in the short term. So they're great for like date night sex menu. And they actually even help balance sex hormones. So leafy greens were shown in research to reduce the stress hormone cortisol, which disrupts testosterone. So leafy greens indirectly boost your testosterone, which is important for female and male sexual health. 
And thirdly, they're loaded with antioxidants, so they do help strengthen and speed nerve signals to and from our genitals, which means more pleasure. Hmm. So one meal, very doable and a great boost in, in sex. Wow, I love that. I, I'm a salad fiend. I love salad so much. No one ever believes me, but it's really my favorite food. A good salad. There's really nothing like it. Well, add a yam to it, and then you've got a really great, you know, the nutritional, um, the mineral profile of that meal with the yam. You know, it's got your potassium, which we talked about how important that is. It's got but magnesium. It's got a lot of those minerals, a lot of nutrition that it brings. And, and so it's a really great, a great meal to, to add. Oh, I bet. I'll have to try that. I've, I've never really tried yams before, but I love sweet potatoes and potatoes of all kinds. So I imagine it's not too far off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, Christina. If someone wanted to work with you, are you taking new patients? Where can they find you? I'm on um, christinedelosier.com or dietforgreatsex.com. It's the same page. It just has two um, URLs. And I'm also at dietforgreatsex on Instagram and on TikTok. Oh, very cool. I need to get on the TikTok wheel. Yeah, I've got a few recipe videos on there. Oh, awesome. Well, that's great. Things that people can try if they wanted to cook a better meal today. Super important. And Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. And if people want to check you out, I will link the website and all of your links in the show notes. Thank you so much.